Good evening to everybody that I cannot see at this stage, but the lights will go on now. And there the lights doesn't go. So I'm just going to assume that there's people here. Um, welcome to all the visitors, those that are here for the first time. It's my privilege with uh, elders, six other elders to lead this congregation. And so before I preach tonight, I just want to share just something um, you know, many a times we tend to think of the people standing here as the holy ones, and we are definitely not holy. And I just feel that I need to share just uh, a sin that I've been struggling with the last two weeks, um, just to be open before I share the words. I don't know why, but last Sunday I started biting my nails. It continued to last night, uh, and so I just want to be open about that. I will try and stop doing that. Uh, I think it will last for another week or so, um, but please pray for me. What an amazing game last night, hey? Whom of you did not finish it? Whom of you gave up on the spring box? Yes, raise it. Let's name it shame. Rudo slept through it halfway. Yes. So we are proud of the guys. Uh, this is the end, as uh, Gideon said, the last night of our reach week. Now, for the ones that is as uh, young as I am or a bit younger than I am, uh, we used to call this, this reach week, Missions Week. Can you remember that? I'm looking at the young ones here. Missions Week. So you would go to uh, whatever church you went to, and every year there's a Missions Week. And it was filled with flags and people dressing up funny. Um, but then there was also the time where they had missionaries come to share their testimonies. Uh, it brings back so many memories for me. It was my student years in Stellenbosch, um, sitting there and listening to just the testimonies of these missionaries, especially those that felt called to the close countries, the countries where the gospel is not allowed to be, one, preached openly, to be shared openly, and to be practiced. And so I remember just sitting there and, and looking at these, these individuals thinking, wow, what an amazing human being. And so it's my privilege tonight to invite a friend, a colleague, because he is at the Moikluf Church, uh, and somebody that has been called to the close countries with his wife, Saeed Umar. Can you just welcome him with a hand? Thanks for being with us. Uh, so this is one of those missionaries, church planters, that has is, that is sensed the call to go to these close countries. But there's a story behind this that I asked him just to come and share tonight. You know, we hear, okay, he's going, but what happened? What happened up until this stage where him and his wife are praying and seeking God? Because Saeed was not always a believer. Um, just from his name and his surname, you could assume that potentially this is not something that he's grown up in. And so, Saeed, thank you for your time. Will you just maybe just share, as you did this morning, uh, introduce your family, okay. your baby-to-be, and then uh, just how it came that you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Okay. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you for having me. So my name is Saeed, and this is my beautiful wife, Anisha. And uh, we're expecting a baby due December. So, <laughs> um, so I come from a country called Eritrea. And Eritrea is a tiny nation in East Africa by the Red Sea. And um, basically, like Dani said, I grew up as a Muslim, been a Muslim for 23 years, almost 23 years of my life. And um, 
came to South Africa in 2011 with my family, started studying at the University of Pretoria in 2014, and some random guy came, approached me at campus, and he came and he asked, can I pray for you? And um, I said, no, I'm a Muslim. Uh, I don't want you to pray for me. And <laughs> he kept on uh, just saying, let me just pray for you. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to leave. And I said, okay, what do you want me to do? And um, gave him my hands, and he prayed for me, and he left. After he left, uh, I was staying in Hatfield at the time, went back to visit the family. Uh, so we are six siblings, big family. <laughs> I'm the oldest. So went back to visit home for a weekend and realized, so I used to have a temper, like a short temper, like I used to have anger problems. So I realized when I went back home that like I'm not getting angry just with my siblings or I actually haven't been getting angry for some time now. <laughs> so I um, never really connected it to the guy praying for me. I, I, it was just a strange realization, which uh, became a bit clearer later. Anyways, went back to varsity. So for a long time, so in Islam, we pray you know, five times a day, then there's Ramadan fasting, 30 days uh, fasting in a year, and there's a lot of religious rituals and, and things that we need to adhere to uh, as, a, as Muslims. So I did that um, and prayed, but it always just felt like a one-way street where I'm going through life, I'm going through things, and I'm speaking to God, but I'm not getting any response. And... Um, so with my, with my parents, now with my dad, I didn't have a, the best of relationships. Um, my dad was in a war between Eritrea and Ethiopia, for, uh, which lasted 30 years. He was in the war for 15 of those 30 years. So he was uh, not the most relational guy. <laughs> um, and uh, he was uh, physically, just emotionally abusive. So I really grew up fearing him. So every time I went through things just in life, I couldn't really go back to my parents. You know, I mean, you, you go back to your parents just for advice or anything I couldn't go so God was my you know someone I could go to but again couldn't really feel that that answer uh, wasn't getting anything wasn't getting any comfort so I had this this hole in my heart this emptiness that I always felt which actually felt like like it's as if I could physically feel the hole in my heart and I got to a place of really feeling purposeless like, there's no purpose. So what is my purpose? I'm born so that I could go to school, study, and then die. So I couldn't find purpose in life. And, and now, back to varsity, tried God, didn't work out, resorted into drinking, smoking, uh, going to clubs, and all of that for two years. That is to sort of really numb my pain and, and drown my sorrows. Did that, didn't really work out. At the end of uh, two years, end of 2015, um, my buddies and I were really uh, just partying in my apartment, then left them when they passed out, went to the rooftop uh, all alone. And I just said, I felt the lowest, that was the lowest point of my life. And I said, God, whoever you are, for the first time, I said, God, not Allah. I need help. I need a solution. I need you to help me with this emptiness. And there, like I asked, maybe if I need to be in a serious relationship, you know, send someone my way. <laughs> And then I went back to bed. Then I started dating my beautiful wife. You can see what happened. <laughs> um, so we started dating three months in. She started sharing the gospel, gospel with me from day one. So mind you, the first ever guy to have prayed for me was the guy like at campus. And now this is the second time someone is actually just coming and sharing just uh, Christ with me. 
So this was a daily thing. You know, we, we are in the car, she's sharing Christ. We're having an argument, she's sharing Christ. We're eating food, she's talking about Jesus. So I wasn't really interested in hearing about Jesus, you know, <laughs> at the time. But it was a new relationship, so I said, you know, let me be patient. Uh, so now she came in and, you know, she said, you know, you need to stop drinking, you need to stop smoking. Your friends are not really taking you, you know, in the right direction. And, you know, I felt, you know, I had these guys for, you know, sort of two years, and this is a new relationship, so <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, supernaturally, I would say three months, I, I, my desire to smoke, drink, and, and just be with those friends, like, disappeared completely. Like, my friends left. I didn't want to go to clubs anymore. I just felt nauseated from the idea of even doing that. Didn't really try. And then I was complaining about my dad a lot. Like I said, relationship wasn't really great. So she came to me and said, why don't you pray God and ask, you to, ask God to help you? you know, he, why don't you ask him to take away you know, the pain? And you know, I felt like she was belittling my pain you know, at the time. This is years of abuse. But now you're telling me I can just hand it to God and that's it. So it, 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 was, a bit, it was a bit tough. But anyway, she said, you don't have to say Jesus. Say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Islam and Christianity, we agree there. And uh, she kept on just pestering me for days, and I said, you know, I needed her off my back. So I went to my room, went on my knees, and I just said, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, by all means, it's yours. Take it. That was it. Went to bed, woke up the next day, came out of my room, and for the first time, I felt no hatred and nothing negative towards my dad. I actually couldn't believe it, followed him down the stairs until he got to his car to go to work. And following days. I changed. He didn't. He was still angry. <laughs> and obviously, I said the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so it could have been either God, right? So shortly after that, I, I had a dream, and in this dream, I was floating in this dark space, and then I looked down, and there was fire burning at the bottom, and then a huge scale came in front of me with Jesus on the right, Allah and Muhammad on the left, and then I heard shoes. And I was a Muslim, so I said, Allah and Muhammad. And as soon as I said that, I started falling into the fire. And as I was approaching the fire, I started shouting, Jesus, 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 three times, and I woke up. Sweating, afraid, because it, it felt too real. So I was a bit upset, thinking, it's because I keep on hearing about Jesus a lot, that's why I'm having such a dream. <laughs> and when I, when I called her, she said, no, God is speaking to you. So I, I'm thinking, it's just a dream. Shortly after that, I have another dream. It was during the night, uh, there was a car accident in front of me. I was on the streets, and buildings on fire, people are running everywhere, it was chaos, and I go to the, the, where the accident happened to see if the people are fine. Person is fine, but whoever was in the car with the person disappeared. Then I hear screamings and shoutings in, in a store across the street. I run into the store, and people are freaking out because people in the store disappeared. I come outside, I start seeing people disappearing, and those that are seeing people disappearing are freaking out and running everywhere. It was like an uh, end of the world kind of movie. And suddenly, I see this bright light kilometers away in the sky. It was a tiny light. It kept on growing. And somehow, I could zoom into it, see that it's, actually, it's a person. Zoom into it, and I see that it's Jesus. And never obviously seen him before. But innately, with every fiber of my being, I knew that this was Jesus. He was filled with so much love, with so much life, with so much light, so much power just oozing out of him. And I just see him coming down from... Like from the sky and touching like the ground and walking, the ground itself was shaking. And I'd never ever experienced what I experienced there 
where there's so much going on, but just looking at him, it's, it's as if everything else disappeared. And I saw more people disappearing, and I was not one of them, and I woke up. And then shortly after that, I have another dream where Jesus comes into my room, and suddenly we, we teleport. There we are in Saudi Arabia, in Mecca, where the, the Kaaba is. So the Kaaba is where every Muslim in the world prays in that direction, wherever you are. And Jesus points at it, and he tells me that he's going down to destroy the structure. And I see two huge demons with a staff guarding it. And I see him walking towards it, and then I, and I woke up. And I started having just more frequent dreams where now I'm suddenly starting, uh, starting to see like demons and angels, and it, it was getting a bit uh, chaotic. But I, I felt like, like God really just, Jesus just wanted me to come and really just, it, it was a strange feeling, but it's as if him saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, follow me, and there I'm not understanding what's going on, went on my knees. I, I said, I don't know what this means, but I will receive you into my life. And that's where I felt something come on me, and the hole that I had in my heart instantly filled up. And something being the Holy Spirit now, I didn't know then. And that's when I received Christ. So after I received Christ now, uh, there's a lot that happened. You know, and it could, I'd never read the Bible before. I was scared to even touch the Bible. Couldn't really just get into that. But as soon as I started, honestly, I started reading from 9 p.m. up to 4 a.m. nonstop. And it felt like I was eating food. Couldn't explain it, but that's what, that's what I experienced. I felt like I've, I hadn't eaten all my life. And... Now, this was 2017. 2018, uh, I was just at Burger King grabbing food and leaving, and this random guy comes from behind me, and he just taps me on my shoulder. He says, hey, you're looking good. And I look at him, and I don't know who that is. <laughs> so I say, you're also looking good. Good to see you. So, <laughs> <laughs> so as I was leaving, then I look back, and I'm like, that's the guy that prayed for me four years ago. Like, he recognized me, and I didn't, and I was in a hurry to leave. So I never really, I've only met him twice. <laughs> First time and last time. <laughs> and that was incredible. That was God literally just, like I was blown away. Anyways, I, now I was scared to share with my family about my faith. Because now I come from a strong like Islamic just, just background. So I can't just share and tell them, you know what, I found Christ. <laughs> so I get a scholarship to study abroad. And I was excited because now I can worship God without hiding. So I arrive in the, in the nation where God sends me. And then there where I was staying in the building is over 90% Muslims from every Arabic country you can think of. So I was scared. Not knowing, like, I said to God, why on earth? You know, like, I, I want to worship you. I want to just be open about my faith. But why are you bringing me here? Not realizing that I ended up building relationships with them. Couldn't tell them about my faith at first. And then from there, I opened myself and shared my faith. And there they told me, we're going to bring you to Islam. And I said, if, you, if I'm going to give you that opportunity, you need to give me that opportunity where we have dialogue and that you also get to open your heart and hear what I have to say. And God trained me in that. I, like honestly, yes, I knew the Quran. But I'm growing in my understanding of the Bible. So many questions they will ask me, I won't necessarily know anything about. So I was spending, I'm there to study, but I'm spending night time watching apologetics videos preparing for the next day. So that became a training ground uh, for me. And after three years of that, came back and God spoke to me and he told me that now I need to tell my family about my beliefs. And he spoke to me for two months, every single night. It was dream after dream. And I was saying, I'm not ready. 
I'm not going to tell them now because I knew. But God put his foot down. It's a long story. And he told me today, and this is, it's two years today, actually, 22nd of October, 2021, you need to tell them about your beliefs. And I had a conversation with my dad and with my mom. And my dad said, if this is what you choose, and he shook my hand, this is the end of the road for us. And my mom, the same thing. If this is what you choose, this is it for us. So for two years, we haven't had any connection at all. And uh, I mean, I thought, okay, you know what? I did this out of obedience. Surely God has a plan. Surely like he's prepared something for me. But stepped out, to be honest, um, those eight months where I didn't even know what on earth, where I was going, what God was planning with my life. But God brought me here. And God gave me, I mean, this is an extension of my family now. <laughs> and God gave me a family. And I just want to give him the glory for that, that my family has become even bigger. And, yeah, and uh, God trained me. You know, when, when Scripture says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And I never thought I would even be coming here sharing a testimony or even having a desire to, to go and share my faith with anyone. But it's it truly, truly, I tell you, like my, my wife can testify to this. I never was this person. But God changes us. And he makes us fishers of men. I mean, I can share testimony upon testimony that even now before we came, I almost didn't come. <laughs> there was this agent that came. We are moving to a new place. This agent came. And he tells me he is from, he's half Ethiopian and half uh, from Cameroon. I'm like, wow. Like, well, it's a personal question, but what do you believe? Do you believe in God? He said, yes, he's a Muslim. I said, you came to the right guy. And it, I'm like, you know, this is God literally just sending me. And my wife was like, this guy just came to the lion's den. <laughs> so I just I was sharing a bit with him and I'm meeting him for dinner tomorrow night. So pray for him, please. So thank you for sharing. Um, started off by saying in the mission week when missionaries came, these testimonies just stirred my faith. Anybody here agree? They just stirred your faith. But I also remember sitting there and as these people spoke, as uh, so he just shared his testimony, there was also the sense of, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not even worthy to call myself a Christian. These are the real warriors of faith. And I know that that is also present here. Some of you sit here tonight and you think, well, I'm not as radical for Jesus as, you know, as those people, as Saeed. I'm not as radical for Jesus. My faith is definitely not as strong as his faith or other people's faith where they're willing to give up everything for the mission, even in his case, potentially his life. And so here's the thing that I want to preach about tonight and want to share with you tonight. That if that's maybe you sitting here tonight and you do not feel worthy, you do not feel that you are radical enough. What was our theme for this week? Anybody? Radical. Make him known in the nations. That's you tonight saying, I don't feel radical enough. When people like this speak, 
the real Christians, the real believers, then I count myself as not worthy. I want to share with you tonight that there is no such thing as being radical. There is no word in the Bible, radical. We are not called to be radical, but we are called to be obedient. And so you can open your Bibles with me as we start reading together John 21. We're going to read from verse 15. John 21, verse 15. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, son, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it? That is going to betray you. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Father, thank you that we can open your word. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will just come and reveal to us tonight. What it means to be a true believer, to follow you. When you said to Peter, come, follow me. Jesus, you've had that appointment, or maybe you have that appointment tonight, where you have said to us, or maybe you're saying to somebody here tonight, come, follow me. Come and show to us what it means in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so this, this narrative, this story takes place soon or a short period after Jesus was resurrected. And so we see this dialogue between Jesus and Peter. But isn't it ironic, funny, that Jesus would find Peter at the fishing waters, the same place where he found him the first time when he called him. Somehow it's true to most of us sitting here, well, to all of us. That if you've not spent time with Jesus for some period, we tend to drift back into our old ways, don't we? And so why the disciples were in Galilee, we're not sure. Maybe 
It was because they tried to flee from just the scrutiny and the criticism from the mob in Jerusalem. Yes, you disciples, where is your Jesus now? That's the criticism and the scrutiny. Maybe they fled from Jerusalem to Galilee because of that. Or maybe it was because they wanted to be, let me just stop there quickly. I'm going to switch over. This thing keeps on moving, please. Apologies, apologies. Oh, there we go. Also, maybe they left Jerusalem because of being obedient to the command the angel gave Mary when Mary ran to the grave to tend to Jesus' body. She found the grave open, and there was this angel standing, and he said to her, Fear not. Jesus, the one whom you are seeking, has risen, and he has gone before you, stands in Matthew 28 verse 7, and he has gone before you to Galilee. Go and tell the others. So maybe that's why they're in Galilee. Or maybe they just discouraged. Jesus died. And so they went back to their old ways of being fishermen. The kingdom that they were hoping for, the kingdom where Jesus becomes king of the Jews and sits on the throne of David, has not happened. And so they have to look after themselves. And so maybe this is why they find themselves in Galilee. I don't know what the reason is for why you find yourself where you are tonight. Maybe physically, you're not in a good place. Or maybe emotionally, you are not in a good place. Or what about spiritually? See, if you've not been with Jesus for some time, we tend to fall back. And we tend to end up in places where it's not God's desire for us to be there. I don't know where you find yourself tonight. But here's the thing about this story. Jesus met Peter at the place where Peter was at that stage. And like that, Jesus meets us where we are. And so what a beautiful setting for this meeting to take place. This breakfast. It's early morning. The disciples just returned, if you read the verses just before, and they have just returned to the shore from fishing throughout the night. They didn't catch anything. And so as they arrive, the sun is rising over the waters. What a beautiful picture. And they can smell the aroma of freshly baked bread in the air and a fish or fish being grilled on the fire. What an amazing setting. And this is where Jesus is busy preparing, and they see Jesus preparing breakfast for them. And they have this, this meal together. You see, Jesus doesn't just meet us where we are. He meets us to restore us. And so after having breakfast with Peter, we see how Jesus restores Peter. I remember that meeting so clearly in my life. I was on this train at the age of 18, my final year of school, we were going down to Stellenbosch for a youth festival. I went there for all the wrong reasons. It was a train filled with youth, no adult supervision. Wow. I went there for all the wrong reasons. But that very first night in Stellenbosch, I can remember the smell. I can remember the setting. I can even remember the person that shared his testimony that night. Jesus met me where I was 
and He restored me unto Him eternally. So many of us sitting here, you know that day for you. You have experienced it. Where Jesus restored you eternally. He met you in whatever place it was where you were. And He restored you. But that isn't where He stops. He continually, continuously wants to meet you. Continuously wants to walk with you. Have fellowship with you. And sometimes we just need restoration. We're just tired. Spirit is tired. And some of you are sitting here tonight and you're in that place. And I want to say to you again, He sees you. He knows where you are at at this moment. And He wants to have fellowship with you. And He wants to restore you. But here's the thing. Many believers believe that the primary reason, the main reason for Jesus coming to earth was to restore us eternally unto Him. And that is it. And because of this spiritual error in our lives, we remain at the fish water. We think that our lives is ours to live. Jesus, thank you for restoring me. I now know that I'm eternally saved. And I'm just going to continue living my life. But Jesus, I want to invite you to walk with me. Join me in my life, in my destiny for my life. See, Jesus did not come to only restore us unto Him. After meeting with Him, having breakfast with Him, He turns to Peter and, and we gather from the Scripture that they stood up and they were walking on the beach because it says that at one point Peter turned around and he saw John following them. And so as they are walking, Jesus is meeting with him. And then Jesus starts with the questions, do you love me? Do you love me? He's busy restoring him. What happens after that? Jesus calls him to follow him. He restores him, and then he calls him. Let's read that quickly, verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walked wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was glorifying, to be glorifying God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. He restored him. Did you see that? What did he say next? Follow me. And many of us miss that. And because of that, we remain at the fish waters. Just imagine this conversation. They weren't in a good space. Peter denied Jesus three times. And Jesus restores him. Just imagine the load that is lifted from his shoulders in that moment. I can now just be in unity again with Jesus. What an amazing feeling. And they're walking. And the next moment, Jesus says to him two things. This is how you will die. Just imagine the cold water on that warm feeling at that moment. This is how you will die. Peter, this is how you will die. You will be let with outstretched arms. You will be crucified. This is how you will, be, you will die. And then the second thing. Peter follow me. And so what does Peter do? I can just imagine the turmoil in his heart. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. 
Jesus is asking me to follow him. What should I do? And then he turns around and he sees John following them. And like most of us, what does he do? Well, well, what about him? Jesus, what about him? How is he going to die? You see, in that moment, Peter is more focused on the unseen, unrevealed will of God. And as a result of that, he neglects the revealed God, the revealed will of God for his life. In that moment, he is more worried about God's unseen will. Well, what about him? And he's so busy about looking and thinking about, well, what about John? That he neglects the call over his own life, the revealed will that I want you to follow me, and this is how you will die. I was so clear, so convinced about my call to take the position here when Retief planted the church in a lot of spark to become the senior leader of this church. I was clear about God's revealed will for my life. There was even people that came to me and said, we sense that God is calling you back into ministry, not knowing what I was busy with. But here's the thing. I was clear about God's revealed will for my life, but I focused on His unseen will. Jesus, how's this going to work? I mean, I'm not wired like a typical pastor. Do you, are you sure you've got the right guy here? I mean, what about the future of my family? I was so busy with his unrevealed will that I neglected to follow Jesus. And as a result, I remained at the fish water, which was my previous occupation, for longer than I should have. We are called to go out, wherever that is for you daily, to share the gospel, to pray with somebody. But many a times we are so busy focusing on, well, well, what will happen when I pray with this person? Just imagine that student, just imagine that for one moment. When Saeed said to him, no, I don't want you to pray for me. Just imagine in that moment that person walking away. If we are so focused on what will the result be, and we neglect to follow Jesus because of the result of focusing more on His unseen will, what will happen when I share? What will happen when I pray? Instead of us focusing on His revealed will for our lives. His revealed will for our lives. You see, when we look at, at people who want to go to close countries, who have given up everything for the mission, and we see them as being radical, what we are actually seeing is an individual that is obeying God's revealed will for his life. You are seeing a person that is just obeying God's revealed will for his life. There is no such thing as being radical. And so Peter turns and he, and he asks Jesus, so what about John? And how does Jesus respond? Peter, what is that to you? You follow me. What is that to you? Whatever it is that you're sensing or feeling. I remember just a few weeks ago sitting 
at the GO conference, listening to Pastor Jackie from China, just saying, Jesus, why must I be in Pretoria and this guy's in China? And these same words, what is that to you? You, Donnie, follow me. You follow me. If I have called him to be in China, then that is my call for his life. But I've called you to be in Pretoria. You follow me. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Jesus gives us that answer in Matthew, 20, oh, Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verses 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What does it look like to follow Jesus? It literally means that daily we need to die to ourselves. Daily we need to deny ourselves. Daily we need to wake up and say, whatever meeting I'm going to, whatever class I'm going to, wherever it is where I'm going to, no longer my fish waters, Jesus. But I'm following you. As long as this is the road that you have for me, I am following you. And whatever you want me to do today, that I will do. That's what it looks like to deny yourself daily. Jesus didn't call us to be radical. He called us to obey His revealed will for our lives. He called you to obey His revealed will for your life. Some of it is generic. There's a reason why people frown upon us as Christians when we say to them, well, yes, we are dating, and yes, we are engaged, but we will not live together, and we will not sleep together, because His revealed will for our lives is that we do not do that. And then people tend to think of us as being radical. But we are just obeying His will. When we walk up to somebody and say to him, can I just pray for you? It is not because I want to be radical. It's because Jesus says to us, pray for the sick, lay hands on them. There's so many things that Jesus has already revealed to us. And he's calling you tonight not to be radical. He's calling you to follow him. You know that it is radical in the world's eyes? When I can look somebody in the eyes and I can say to him, I am sorry. I messed up. Will you forgive me? And that person turns around and he says, yes, we are okay. I forgive you. The world perceives that as being radical. If you can love somebody that doesn't look like you, that doesn't speak your language, and you just love them because that is what Jesus says, we are sons and daughters. Brothers and sisters of the living God. When we do that, the world looks at us as being radical. When all it is, is that we are following His revealed will. And so if you sat here when we started tonight, and you felt inferior, unworthy to call yourself a believer, I want to say to you, if you were born in Pretoria or whatever else, other place, but you were born here, you were raised here, you went to school here, you're busy studying here, and most probably you're going to work here. If that is God's revealed will for your life, then you are being radical. 
Do not chase after things which God has not called you to. Be faithful to what He has entrusted to you. Because that is what you will stand before Him one day and have to give account of. Are you being faithful with what Jesus has entrusted to you tonight? Started off tonight by saying, Jesus did not call us to be radical. He called us to be obedient. And you've just shared with somebody sitting next to you what you sense and what you feel God has placed in your heart. But I want to ask you this question tonight, and I'm going to leave you with this question. Jesus calls you to be obedient. He is calling you to follow Him. How will your obedience look daily when He is physically walking with you every day? How will your obedience change? Or how will it look when Jesus is physically walking with you every day?